Welcome to Hope Community Podcast. It's great to have you join us today listening online. We pray you'll be impacted by our message this week. Enjoy. Welcome to everyone. Uh, I am Joe, that's true. Um, Welcome if you're watching online too, it's so good to have you. Uh, And it's a real privilege to be able to come and share with you today. just a little bit about me. So I'm married. My wife's name's Penny. She's a year one teacher. Um, so she has probably the hardest job uh, helping year ones learn to read and write, particularly during lockdowns. That's always fun. Uh, I have four kids. I have my eldest is 16. He just got his learners. So our prayer life is increasing. Um, our insurance premiums too, probably. Uh, and then I have three more. I have a 14 year old boy, a 12 year old boy, and a nine year old daughter. And so our life is full and exciting. Um, I find it really um, bizarre to find myself as a pastor, being able to speak and share the Word of God, because growing up, I had no idea what I wanted to do with my life. I had absolutely no idea. Uh, I did so many different jobs. I kind of, I think at one point, wanted to be a musician. I still uh, love music and play a little. But going through university, I ended up studying journalism. I worked as a a freelance film producer. I worked um, in a nursing home as a wardsman in a dementia ward, preparing me for church life. Um, (laughs) No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. This church is nothing like that. Uh, I uh, worked as a diversional therapist. Uh, helping people kind of understand how to um, think differently about their situation uh, and to encounter life and and freedom in that. Um, I worked as a roadie for a while, crewing rock concerts. (laughs) Did some amazing uh, things there that was really exciting and a a different life. Worked as a journalist for a lot of years as well. And through all of it, I I really had no idea what my passion in life was. Uh, As it turns out, the whole way through, I have been part of my church. Uh, the church that is now River Life used to be Kenmore Baptist. I've been there my whole life. Uh, and I eventually came onto staff. And even coming onto staff, I, I knew that I loved God. I loved the Bible. I loved teaching the Bible in life groups and small groups. But I didn't really, I didn't know how everything fit together. I didn't understand how it all, all pieced together. And it wasn't until just as I came on to, to staff at the church that uh, we were on a, a retreat weekend and I encountered God's presence for the first time like really encounter God's presence. Like the intense, I, I believe God was real, but now he's really real. And the, you know, uh, the ugly cry, the kind of not wanting to do any of that stuff that I'd seen people do before, like cry, fall down, shake. I cried, I fell down, I shook. God did some work in my life and started some work that he's still working in and through. Uh, And it wasn't until that moment, really, where God connected all the pieces together for my life. And I went, oh, okay. I I think I understand now. I I think what my burning passion is, God, is you and your presence and what that looks like when your presence touches someone's life. Because I loved the Bible. I taught it in 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 small groups for years, for years and years and years. My wife and I did this small group where... Uh, you'd sign up and you had to sign up for two years. And for the two years, uh, every week we'd meet together and you'd have to read a book of the Bible for each week. And we'd start at Genesis and we'd go through to Revelation and we'd do it across two years. I'd give you two weeks for for the Psalms because I'm generous like that. And if you're really having a rough time, I might give you two weeks for Isaiah. But other than that, we'd read a book every week and we'd talk about it. And we did that um, six times through, 12 years we did that. 
So I knew the Bible, but then I suddenly encountered the God of the Bible. And I already knew him, but then I encountered him and we had a personal relationship at a deeper level than I'd ever had before. And discovering that, discovering that, that moment of intimacy with God shifted everything for me. And so this morning, what I want to talk about is when we have that foundational connection and relationship and, and intimacy with God, it actually postures and positions us to be able to step into what He has for us as a community. That when we each take responsibility and ownership for our personal relationship with Jesus, we actually contribute something to the bigger picture which creates a space for God to inhabit and to dwell with his people in a way that actually starts to transform not just you and not just your neighbour and not just the people in this community, but the people outside of hope, the people who are yet to encounter Jesus, uh, the people that you're praying for, that that you're interceding for, that are on your heart, the people that maybe you're not praying for yet because they're still too annoying or frustrating. (laughs) But God, when he starts to dwell in us and work through us, it starts to transform the community around us. So I want to kind of talk into that a little bit because I think more than ever before, this has become quite a complex thing to be about in this world that we find ourselves in. Because we can't do the things we used to do, right? Or if we do, we have to do it in an awkward way with masks and all this kind of stuff. We can't shake hands or if we do, maybe we feel guilty or maybe we feel like we're being a rebel or maybe we're like, hey, these are my rights, I'll do what I want. But when we can actually come together as God's people, as God's body, something amazing can happen. And it starts, I think, with that personal renewal, that personal intimacy with God, that personal surrender to the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Christ, that transforms us from the inside out. Because all the things that are going on around us want to form us, want to shape us, want to construct in us a response to the world around us. God wants to do the same thing. And who we worship as Lord is what gets formed in us. If you've got your Bibles there, we're going to look at a few different scriptures today. Let's just start in Romans 8. I think after um, the amazing theological library we just saw we should probably start in Romans (laughs) it's impressive flex I gotta say my uh, systematic theology library is not that large although my wife would probably disagree seeing as how we're packing to move and I've had to pack all my books but I want to start in Romans 8 let's just read verse 9 to 11 It says, you, Paul writes to the people in Rome, but the church, the gathering of the believers. He says, you, however, are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. If in fact, the spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who doesn't have the spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. And this is the bit I want you to grab a hold of. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. See, there's something about the indwelling presence of God that is transformative in our lives. And many of you probably know this, but I want to start to look at what that looks like as it starts to flow out in this life and in this time that we find ourselves in. When God dwells in us, the opposite things can happen to what's happening in the world around us. 
If we jump back to Exodus chapter 13, there's this beautiful description of what God is like when he shows up in the world. And when I say show up, I don't mean to be dishonoring or to diminish the fact that he was present, omnipresent and always able to work. But there's something about when he tangibly presents himself. And he did it throughout scripture and he does it in our lives. That he's always with us, but sometimes he kind of does something a little bit more, a little bit different, a little bit unexpected, something quite tangible. And it tends to change the circumstances we find ourselves in. If we go to Exodus 13, let's go to verse 21. So the, uh, the Israelites are preparing to leave. They're about to have, the, they've had the Passover, they're about to cross the Red Sea. And God's saying, now's the moment. Now is your moment to be formed as a people, to be my people, to follow me. Let's go. Let's do this thing together. And he does this amazing thing where he says, i to find the verse. As he leads them out, it says, The Lord went before them, that's the Israelites, by day in a pillar of cloud to lead them along the way, and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light, that they might travel by day and by night. The pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night did not depart from before the people. So there's this, there's this moment where God is calling and forming and, and about to enter into this covenant with his people. And preemptively of that, in his, in his act of deliverance, he, he presents himself to his people in this visible way. And now I've not been, but I've watched a lot of documentaries because I'm a, I'm a bit of a nerd. I love to learn. I love to read. I've watched many documentaries. I've read everything I can find on the Holy Lands, on the Middle East, on this space. And if you've ever seen any photos, it's not a kind of plush, verdant green region of the world it's hot it's dry it's desert it's desolate and in the middle of the heat God says I'm going to be with you like a cloud like shade in the heat of the day and night in the in the darkness of night in the middle of the desert when there's no lights forever I'm going to be a pillar of fire God in this moment shows us a part of his nature a part of his character that he loves to present himself in a way that is opposite to the circumstances around him. That when, when the people were in the midst of being taken out of the promised land and who knows what's happening before them, God says, I'll be with you. In the heat of the day, he's shade. In the, the dark of the night, he's light. And, and start, to, start to think through what you know of the, the narrative of Scripture and you'll see that it's constant. In the, in the midst of Adam and Eve's disobedience, God comes looking, comes seeking while they're hiding. Right throughout, when the people want to occupy the promised land under God's instructions, instead of going, great, I'm going to give you time to get the biggest army possible. He says to Gideon, get rid of the army. We need something smaller against the Midianites who appear like all the sand on the seashore in Judges. Like God does stuff that is counterintuitive to the world around us because he presents himself in a way that changes the environment. It happens time and time again through Scripture. 
When the, when the people of God go into exile, when, the, when their disobedience has come to the point where God says, I can't let this go anymore. They go. Instead of saying, okay, now I want you to make sure you stay safe, you stay insulated, you stay away. He says, go and put down roots. Pray, in fact, for the cities of the people who have now captured you. You're like, well, <laughs> doesn't make any sense, God. These are our enemies. They killed our family. He says, go and pray for them. I mean, you see right through the Psalms that God will prepare a table, a place of intimacy and feasting in the presence of your enemies. When Jesus comes, he, he doesn't just kind of continue it. He escalates it. Think about the ministry of Jesus. They attack you, turn the other cheek. Let them attack you again. If they ask you to carry something for a mile, offer to take it too. When you go out to minister in my name, don't take all your provision. Go with just the clothes on your back and I'll provide for you. It's counterintuitive. It doesn't make sense. It's this weird upside down, back to front kingdom. And why I think that's so important is when we find ourselves in this day and in this moment, there's an invitation from God to his covenant people, the, the people with the indwelling spirit that raised Christ from the dead, that makes all the difference in our bodies. There's an invitation to us to live different to the world around us. As I was praying and thinking, really, what I think God wants us to know today, this morning, is that He is faithful, that He's good, that He's trustworthy, that when we are confronted with what goes on around us, with the stuff we even prayed into this morning, the need for healing, the need for provision, the need for, for restoration of relationship, in the midst of all of that, God is good, God is faithful. God is present because there is so much noise around us. You're engaged here on a Sunday, whether you're doing couch church or you're in person for an hour and a half, maybe two hours at a stretch if you get here early or if you're on team. It's a drop in the full week that you live. If you come to encounter night, you get to come twice on a Sunday. But how many hours do you spend with friends or family at work or at home? These moments, these are the strengthening moments, but there's so much noise around us. There's so much input in just attacking and coming at us. So what do we do in the midst of this? If God says, I'm shade in the heat and I'm light in the dark. And Jesus starts to say, well, maybe that's what you're like too because when I'm in you, we're doing this thing together. What does that look like for us today? When there's chaos around, what does it mean to carry peace? When there's brokenness around, what does it look like for us to carry restoration and reconciliation? When there's radical individualism that seeks to do everything in order to meet my needs at the cost of everyone else, what does it look like to flip that around? What does it look like to fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith, 
and let him dictate our responses to the world around us as opposed to everything that we see. I'm going to say in Exodus, so I'm jump a little bit forward to Exodus 33. Because God has brought his people out. He's made his covenant with them. He's setting up the way for them to have intimacy at this point in the tabernacle, the place where heaven and earth interact, where the divine and the human connect, the overlap space of God and humanity. He's about to explain this. But in the midst of it, he says this in in chapter 33, verse 1. God says to Moses, depart, go up from here, you and the people whom you have brought out of the land of Egypt. Take them to the land which I swore to Abraham, Isaac and Jacob, saying to you, to your offspring, I will give it. He says, I'll send an angel before you even. God says, go. But Moses gets this. And and this is, I think, the key for us today as we we step forward into what I want to just kind of land with us. Moses has been in the tent of meeting in verse 7 and he's... He's meeting with the Lord face to face, but he has this really frank conversation with God in in verse 12. And Moses says to God, See, you say to me, bring up this people, but you'll not let me know whom you'll send with me. Yet you have said, I know you by name, and you have found favour in my sight. Therefore, if I have found favour in your sight, please show me your ways, that I may know in order to find favour in your sight. Consider too that this nation is your people. God says, my presence will go with you and I'll give you rest. Moses says back to God, I love how he just tells God how it is. Like, man, Moses, you're amazing. He says, if your presence will not go with me, don't bring me out from here. If you're not going to do this thing, this isn't a thing. For how shall it be known that I have found favour in your sight, I and your people? It is not in your going with us so that we are distinct. I and your people from every other people on the face of the earth. And so they go together. But this is the key because Moses doesn't know how it's going to happen. Moses doesn't know who's going to go with him. He doesn't know the way to go. He's being led by the Lord. He's, He's attempting to go somewhere that he hasn't been before. He's attempting to navigate what it looks like to lead a nation, a nation of God's covenant people who won't have a picture of their God, who won't have a temple for hundreds of years yet, who won't have all the markers of the nations around them, who won't have the place that they think that they should. They're not going to have the ease. They don't have the history. There are are thousands, maybe millions of slaves who have no inheritance, who have no legacy. God is setting them up for a win, but Moses is going, we don't know how to do this. We haven't been this way before. If you don't come with us, it's not going to work. And I believe, I believe the church I and mean, every church and this church particularly, we are, have not been this way before. We have not had to navigate this. We've not had to step into a time where we don't know if we can meet together. We don't know what it looks like to be obedient and honouring to government, yet stand up for our rights. We, don't, we haven't had to fight to be Christians in this nation. Do we have to even fight to be Christians right now? We haven't been this way before. What does it look like to follow the leading of the Lord, to be passionate about His presence in a time and a place that we've never been before? And I believe the secret is that we come in the opposite spirit to what we're seeing in the world around us. 
how do we come to the people who are anxious? Stop and think about it. Think about the people in your life. Maybe it's you. How do we present ourselves in the midst of anxiety? Are we the peace bringers? Or do we put fuel on the flame? What did Jesus do? What did Jesus say? How did he present himself, the Prince of Peace? He says, you'll have troubles in this world, but fear not, I've overcome this world. Peace I give you, peace I leave you. If the spirit of the risen God is living with us, then every situation we find ourselves in where people are manifesting anxiety, they're pouring it out, we have permission. In fact, I think we probably have a mandate to go, you know what? It's going to be okay. It's actually going to be okay. Because I know this guy who says, when the storm is raging, peace. Everywhere that you go, if you're willing to say to God, I'm not going to go without your presence. Because the truth is you're the temple of his Holy Spirit, the presence of God. He's with you wherever you go. You may not have been that way before, but God is with you when you get there and you have permission and you have access to the God who says peace to the storm. You're the bringer of peace in that moment. Tomorrow morning, next week, tonight, Right now, you have permission and authority to say peace to the storm because the King, the Prince of Peace is the one who has empowered you to do that. I think the, the, the area that's most kind of weighing on me as a, as a pastor and as a leader is when we look at just the fractured nature of our culture around us. I mean, it's one thing, I mean, I grew up in Brisbane. I was here long enough ago that I remembered that you weren't allowed to protest things, that all the brown-shirted police would come and shut down the protests back in the day. Um, I don't know if any of you are old enough to remember that. It was pre-Expo. <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> it's like ancient history. I love history, so, you know. But I mean, who would have thought that we would see the response and the reaction of people in our nation? Like we've seen in the last days and weeks and months, the last two years. I mean, we thought the Aussies were just like, oh, it's all right, mate, she'll be right. And then people who are devoting their lives to healing and restoring physical bodies are being attacked. I mean, what's going on in our nation? There's this, this moment of like hyper-individualism. There's this moment where it's all about what I need and what I can get and my rights. But what does Jesus say? What does the Holy Spirit say to his covenant people in the midst of this? Let's go to Philippians chapter two. Because we've not been this way before. This generation and this nation, we've not had to deal with this. Paul writes this, if there's any encouragement in Christ, if there's any comfort from love, if there's any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, then complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord or in unity and of one mind. 
Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to your own interests, but to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. And then he talks about the sacrifice and the way that Jesus just didn't count his divinity as anything of significance, but laid it down for the sake of us. What would it look like for God's covenant spirit filled people? To not be the ones attacking, but to be the ones going, what can we do to help? What would it look like for us to be a force of love, to be others focused, to to take our eyes off ourselves and our immediate needs? What would it look like? What would happen in a place like that? Because it sounds to me like it becomes a place of nurturing and wholeness. It becomes a place where fear is broken, where provision happens. It sounds just like Acts chapter 2, where the, the church came together and they were so excited because it was brand new. It was this move of the Spirit that crazy things had happened and they gave as they had need and they looked to everyone else's need and they gathered and they prayed and they sacrificed and they worshipped and they learned. And God added to their number daily. Like daily. Like imagine that, imagine if we were known and marked as the people who came with a different heart. What would it look like in these four walls if that's how we acted, if that's how we lived? What could happen in a church community where we put each other's needs first? Paul in Ephesians 5 says, You should actually do this stuff and you should start in the house of God. We should practice it here. We should practice love and encouragement and unity and humility and and not letting our own preferences determine what we get upset about, but actually looking to the needs of others. What could happen in a room like this where people come and everyone was going, God, what do you want to do for them? How do you need me to help them? How do you need me to love them? What do I need to do to make this place flourish? What could happen? What would it look like to the people who live all around here if this place was marked by radical, generous, sacrificial love for one another? In a time and in a moment where it seems to be coming quickly the national pastime to make fun of anyone who's in leadership and authority. What would it look like to honour godly leadership? What would it look like to, to see the people that God has anointed, that God has prepared? What would it look like if we honoured and supported? Imagine how powerful it would be. When it comes to the last of it, all of these things, you know, God will will work with us and deal with us in that place of intimacy. As we we journey with Him, as we trim our hearts to His, as we are obedient to the Holy Spirit, as we listen to those gentle words of conviction that remind us that, hey, you're putting yourself first and not me. You're putting your own needs in front of the others around you. As we start to to listen to, that's an anxious thought and that's not from me. 
as we start to discern what it looks like to minister peace, something powerful happens. Historically, we call it revival. It's when the Holy Spirit of God that raised Christ Jesus from the dead starts to raise other people from the dead. Emotionally, spiritually, physically. And I didn't know what I wanted to do with my life, but God showed me that His presence that brings life is the only thing I really, only thing I really care about, the only thing I really want to know about anymore. What would it look like if there was a deep and burning hunger in the depths of you to know God's presence, to see Him at work? We've got to wrestle with it. I'm not perfect at it. I struggle with stuff all the time, but I'm convinced that there is no better way. Because at the core of all of this, it's not just how well we do it. We're not just a public benevolence society that attempts to be good in our own strength, that tries to do the right thing in order to make everyone happy. No, 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 we are a people who are marked by God's presence. And when we're marked by His presence, we come in the opposite spirit. We are shade in the heat of the day and we are light in the darkness. We are peace in chaos. We are provision in lack. We are humility in a season and a time of arrogance. I'm going to finish in Romans. Because this is the God that we serve. In Romans 4. I just want to pull out one verse and not to do violence to the text, but I think it's the core of this passage where Paul is understanding and presenting to his readers what it looks like to live out faith in God. And he's talking about this man of faith, Abraham, who practiced it and lived it out. But he speaks of God's character and nature right in the middle of it. He says this about this Abraham, this father of faith, who, as it is written, God said, I've made you the father of many nations in the presence of the God in whom he believed, the one who gives life to the dead and calls into existence the things that do not exist. This is the God. This is the God that dwells in you when you said yes to Him. This is the God that can dwell in you if you say yes to Him. That the God who raised Christ from the dead is the God who gives life to you and who calls things that aren't as though they were. What are the hopes and the dreams? What are the desires you have for your family, for your community, for this place, for hope? What are the things that are in your heart? Because God is the one who takes the things that aren't and makes them real. I think it starts with our obedience to Him, to trust Him because we've never been this way before. It can only happen when we have that hunger, that desire, that encounter with His living presence. So we invite the worship team to come back up. And while they're coming up, I just want you to take a moment I want you just to take a moment and just do a quick self-assessment to just think through where you're at, what life looks like for you. Are you known? Are you marked by the things of the kingdom, by the things of the spirit, by peace, by humility, 
By love and generosity, are you marked by being light in the dark? Or between you and God, is there a few things that you need to probably sort out with Him? And this is the beauty of God. In that place of invitation, in that place of surrender, as we come to Him, the things that are missing, He's able to put into your life. The things that do not exist, He can cause to exist. And the things of your life that have died through neglect, He can raise to life. So I want you just to have a moment and give you a moment of quiet to just reflect, God, what's going on in my life? What is the, the culture of my heart and does it reflect yours? Just keep your heads bowed and let's just do some business with God in this moment. Lord, we thank you that in that weird back to front way that you seem to always do, you said that the way we find life is to die to ourselves. The way that we find life and freedom in you, in you is to go last, to lay it down, to sacrifice, to surrender. So God, we all come before you right now. and I know because we are not yet with you in glory that there are things that we need to lay down and sacrifice. There are things that we need to let die in our life so that you can raise us to life afresh. So Holy Spirit, in this moment, as you bring those things to our mind, we, we just release them to you like dropping a heavy burden from our hands, like taking off a, a heavy coat. We say, we don't want these things anymore, God. And I ask that Holy Spirit, as people release those things, as we release stress and anxiety, as we release disobedience and mistrust, as we release disunity and offence, 
as we release fear and selfishness. Ask Holy Spirit that you would come, you would rush in, that you would fill us afresh right now. The Holy Spirit, like a like a fresh wind, like fine oil, like a, a blazing fire, you would just rush through this. Right now, everyone who's hearing this, who's listening, who's engaged with this, Holy Spirit, would you come right now? Would you come full afresh on us? God, would you raise up faith in your people? Would you raise up faith? I just sense an invitation that there's, there's an invitation to faith for us. There's an invitation to faith in this moment where we've walked in skepticism, where we've walked in distrust, where we, we haven't able to, been able to believe God at His Word, that there's an invitation to faith. There's an invitation to trust. If He wants to do more than we can ask or imagine, if He's the one who calls the things that aren't as though they were, then there's an invitation to faith and to trust if we're gonna go somewhere we've never been before. So God, right now over your people in this room, everyone listening online right now, God, would you just pour out, Lord, an invitation to faith, a heart response to you. That you would mark each and every one of us as people who believe you at your word who do not walk in the fear of man, who do not walk as sceptics, but we will be people who walk and trust in faith that the storms will cease at your word. Thank you, Lord. I was gonna invite you to stand up because we're gonna go into a time of worship now and I know that you guys have a prayer team and uh, I'm sure they're going to be available at the front here or wherever the prayer team normally is available. And if God's been just touching something in your life today, if there's some stuff that you're wrestling with, if you know that there's stuff that's getting in the way that doesn't reflect His heart or maybe you didn't have the faith to stand before when Deb gave those words and you need healing, you need provision, you need God to show up in the opposite to what's currently going on in your life, then there's the opportunity for you today to receive that. So let's all stand and let's worship together as we just lift up to, to this amazing Lord that we follow. He's gonna lead us where we've never been because His kingdom is so good. Let's worship. Thanks so much for listening to Hope Community Podcasts. We hope you enjoyed today's message and remember to subscribe to the channel to keep up to date. From everyone here at Hope Community, have the best week.